Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Normally at this stage, Kieran, I'd ask you how you are, but I know because it's only been 30 seconds since we recorded um, Monday's pod, basically, because it's Thursday and normally that would be Newsday, but as we mentioned last pod, uh, I'm on a three-day break and uh, Mrs Day has made it perfectly clear that if I wish to be retained to my testicles, I'm not to take two hours off to do a podcast. So we're bringing you um, another of our special nostalgia pods today, Kieran. I've been quite looking forward to this. And um, in honour of his recent passing, Kieran, we thought we'd take a look at Trevor Francis' record-breaking move from Birmingham City to Nottingham Forest in 1979, which made him the first million-pound player Technically, before we do that, Kieran, I think it would only be it would be rude of me not to check whether anything's happened in the three minutes or so since we stopped recording Monday's pod and started recording this one. Well, actually, I, I have oh. been busy, um, and as as we both know, the devil will find work for idle hands to do. Indeed, I stole and I lied just because you asked me to. <laughs> um, yes, uh, because the, the Baroness was. I, I walked out just to get myself a quick drink of water, and the Baroness was standing at the door, arms folded. Oh, I think it's fair to say. Oh, and I think we both know it was one of those looks of whilst you've been fanning around podcasting, <laughs> I've been busy in the kitchen, and she managed to dislodge a pipe. So we had a uh, we've got a leak in the kitchen, um, which I managed to fix in three minutes. And the reason for that is that I'm not a plumber. Um, because the plumber would have charged you for the three hours of work. But in, in true in true uh, adventures of a plumber style, uh, the Baroness was, was standing arms folded in her shorts and T-shirt. So uh, anybody that's familiar with the 1970s and the work of Robin Asquith uh, will know what happened next. I, I had to return to the podcast. Kieran, I've, I've never been more proud of you. What an alpha male story that is. <laughs> in the course of three minutes, you, you identified a leak and you fixed it. As well, how did the Baroness cause the leak in the first place? Well, she made the mistake of opening a cupboard oh. in the kitchen, oh. and cupboards near sinks. You know, we 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 are alpha males because we know that those doors are there for not opening, as opposed to opening. And and she she decided she was going to clean the inside of cupboards, which I didn't know that cupboards had insides that could no. be cleaned. Personally, I thought they felt a bit like ovens and they were self cleaning, but I was clearly wrong. Well, there's, there's no point having a door to a couple. You, you close the door, and that saves you cleaning inside, surely. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Well, well, what an eventful three minutes out. I wasn't expecting that answer. So let's get let's get back to 1979, Kieran, and the the sensational move of Trevor Francis from Birmingham City to Nottingham Forest. Um, first up, Kieran um, sadly passed away just a few days ago. What a player he was! Yes, I mean we are. 
both of a certain age. And I, I think I was 17 when he signed for Nottingham Forest, but he'd already proven himself at, at Birmingham. He'd, he'd come on. He was a very young player when he when he first appeared for Birmingham City. I think he scored in his debut um, and he looked really promising. And then you put him into that Nottingham Forest side. Um, and I think it's fair to say he did okay at Forest, but not sensationally well I th- you know, in, in, because he wasn't a glamorous player. He was just extremely gifted. Uh, in terms of his England caps, he 55, 56 England caps. Can you'd expect him to perhaps have, have earned more? Uh, but I think he was just the the wrong player in that team at times because he his skill set didn't necessarily complement some of the other players, and and the side was dominated, I think, by the likes of Kevin Keegan and Trevor Brooking, and he just didn't quite fit in. But yeah, an amazing player. I, I do remember going to watch um, Brighton play at uh, Main Road in, in the early 80s. And City City beat us, I think it was 4-0. It could have been twice that. And he was just on fire. And there are, there are some players who you see who just have that ability to completely transfix you in the sense that they could, they got the ball at their feet. They, he can run faster with the ball on his feet than I can run when I'm sprinting. Mm. Um, and he just, he made the game look ridiculously easy. And I think that's testament to the quality of the player. Uh, and of course, Palace fans, along with other clubs, remember him as a, a manager of a not particularly successful Palace side, but he made himself a legend by punching our reserve goalkeeper who... Uh, apparently laughed when an away team scored at Sellers Park. So that's always going to go down well with the fans. Younger listeners, Kieran, and we do have some, it turns out, younger listeners might well like to uh, Google um, or YouTube or whatever the young people do, um, the press conference at which the signing of Trevor Francis to Nottingham Forest was announced because Brian Clough turns up late in basically his PE kit, essentially swishing a squash racket about, and tells Trevor Francis his hair's too long and he looks like a girl, and then disappears stage left, um, which is a sort of indication of the sort of man Brian Clough was. For listeners not familiar with Brian Clough, I think we should give a little bit of context. Brian Clough was a well, one of my idols, I have to say, but he, he started his football career at Borough. He was a very, very prolific goal scorer. He moved to Sunderland, where he scored basically a goal a game. Mm. Then Boxing Day 1962, he suffered a terrible, terrible injury. We all know, uh, Kieran, that he hated Don Revy for most of his football career. He also hated Bob Stokoe as much as he hated Don Revy. Bob Stokoe, who everyone knows as the Sunderland manager who won the FA Cup with them in 1973 and ran onto the pitch with a tracksuit and a Trilby hat and a a rain mac on. Apparently a charming man, but Clough hated him because he said Bob Stoker has all he could remember in his agony on Boxing Day when he did his uh, cruciate, I believe it was, was Bob Stoker standing over him, screaming at him uh, to get up, stop being so soft, and then telling the referee that Clough was trying to kid him. Bob Stoker was playing for Berry, the other team that day. Oh, right. Um, so then Clough was out of the game for two years. It was such a bad injury. Managed to come back, but didn't complete a full game. Uh, ended up coaching Sunderland's youth team. Then he and Peter Taylor, who was the goalkeeper at Middlesbrough, went to Hartlepool's United. It was Hartlepool's United in those days uh, as manager and did very well. They went to Derby County, who they got promotion from the second to the first division and won the league championship 
1972, uh, then left there in a high-profile dudgeon. No one knows whether they were sacked or whether they resigned or whether it's a mixture of both. But certainly the owner of Derby County, Sam Longson, hated them both by the time he got rid of them, uh, ostensibly because Clough was doing too much media work, but partly because Longson said Clough had a habit of signing players without checking with the board first. Uh, And then the reason I'm doing this uh, potted history, Kieran, is so we can mention his disastrous spell at Brighton and Hove Albion. I I just basically wanted to use the word disastrous and Brighton and Hove Albion in the same sentence. He then went to Leeds United um, for 40-odd days, subject of much speculation and books and films, and then ended up at Forest in 1975. He, he, he started at Forest under a bit of a cloud. His reputation had suffered because of that disastrous time at Brighton and then at Leeds, but then went on to do remarkable things, remarkable things at Nottingham Forest, and one of them was signing Trevor Francis for £1 million. Although there were rumours, Kieran, it wasn't actually £1 million, it was £975,000 plus VAT, signing on fees, etc. But how much would that fee be in today's money, Kieran? Well, it depends how you measure inflation. Ah. Now, if we take the retail price index, now the retail price index is, is what we use to effectively measure a basket of consumer goods. So it's it's a pint of milk, a loaf of bread, um, it's a train ticket and so on. If, uh, if, if we were to use the retail price index, uh, he would cost just six and a half million pounds today. But um, as you know, I think a, a year or so ago, myself and my colleague at the University of Liverpool, uh, a guy called Jason Laws, and Jason is a very, very uh, passionate uh, Sunderland fan, by the way, mm. uh, very dedicated. And he, he runs a local youth team. He's, he's an absolutely brilliant guy. Um, we created football inflation. And the way that we did this is that we measure the ability of a football club to sign a player based on the amount of money the football club itself has coming in. And especially given the the rise of the Premier League, satellite broadcasting, the success of Sky and subscription revenues, the the fact that we've moved to all-seater stadia and all all of the the sort of the gentrification and democratisation of the game which has taken place. Taking into account football inflation and the increase in purchasing power, um, based on my figures, Trevor Francis would today cost £253.5 million. Wow. Um, And that that is clearly a huge amount. And that would be more than double the, the highest paid amount played for an English player. But that was also the case at the time, because I think prior to uh Trevor Francis, the highest fee was David Mills, um, which was 516000 I think Middlesbrough paid that. Mm. Um, so it, it was a huge increase on what was effectively the going price at the time. And remember, we have seen Kylian Mbappe uh, be signed for over around about €220 million, Euro, and there's now a, a €300 million Euro bid that's gone in for him from Saudi Arabia. So I think that's indicative of how highly regarded Trevor Francis was in the football industry at the time, that somebody was willing to, to pay twice the record fee. And that, that does, you know, those numbers that, that we've calculated using the, uh, the spreadsheet that, uh, that I sort of 
crudely put together. And Jason's an absolute uh, uh, spreadsheet wizard, so so he made it much more sophisticated than my crude efforts. Um, that's where we would be today. A spreadsheet wizard. That that would have been a much better film, Tommy, wouldn't it? If he <laughs> never mind your pinball wizard. If he, if Roger Daltrey had been playing a spreadsheet wizard, that would have been fantastic. Uh, before we move on, kid, do you have any memories of Brian Clough at Brighton? By the way. Yes, yes. I mean, um, he came there in in nineteen seventy three, and crowds, you know, rocketed. Um, nobody knew what was going to happen from week to week. Right. He uh, he kept signing players, the, the but he, he 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 was signing individual players, not necessarily putting together a team. So we we had the. Uh, we had the the big match cameras come to the Goldstone, and we were playing uh, Bristol Rovers at home mm. in what turned out to be a ten goal thriller, um, <laughs> of which of which Brighton contributed two goals, um, and. Bristol Rovers at the time had two strikers who were known as smash and grab. I think yeah. one was called Alan Warboys, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Bannister. And I think they, Bannister, was it? Bannister, that's right. Yeah. Um, yes, so there were, some, there were some spectacular results. We got stuffed 4-0 by Walton and Hersham in the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, and then Clough flounced off and Peter Taylor stayed behind and I think that was the sort of the transformation of the club in, in terms of of its sort of period of, of success in the in the latter half of the 70s um yeah Clough Clough was box office but I think at the same time he, he didn't have a particularly good record as Brighton manager yeah I, I can't remember whether it's the Walton and Hershing game or the Bristol Rovers game I suspect it's the Bristol Rovers game yeah, but he was on the big match on the Sunday in the studio after that defeat and then he brought his son with him. Yes. And so Nigel was sitting on the desk, looking really embarrassed, kicking his leg. I'll just point out Nigel Clough was about eight at the time, not 22. That would have been even more embarrassing. Um, you mentioned Peter Taylor, Kieran. I mean, Peter Taylor was uh, legendarily um, what Brian Clough referred to him as back of house, and he was front of house. Like you said. Mm. But it was Peter Taylor who tended to identify the players to bring in and it's probably him that brought in Trevor Francis. My abiding memory of that is my dad's just outraged. I mean, it was bad enough. I mean, he was still recovering from Peter Bonetti wearing gardener's gloves in goal, but <laughs> a footballer going for a, a million pounds, he just, that was as far as he was concerned, that was the end of football. But that sort of reaction had been increasingly common, Kieran, as transfer fees went up. As, as you all know, it's the first £100 transfer, Kieran, 1893, Willie Groves from Aston Villa, uh, to Aston Villa, rather, from West Brom. 1905, questions were asked in the house, and expressions like new slave trade were used by politicians when Middlesbrough signed Alf Common from Sunderland for a £1,000. And one Middlesbrough director resigned and said, I'd rather be relegated than spend this money. With five thousand pound first transfer was nineteen twenty two. Sid Puddyfoot, what a fantastic name! What name? Man, what a name! Is. But he signed for Falkirk from West Ham. For Good five, grief! I know. And then nineteen twenty eight, things were getting spicy. Ten thousand pound. David Jack went to Arsenal from Bolton. Nineteen sixty eight, Martin Chivers, one hundred twenty five thousand pound to Spurs from Southampton. But during the seventies, Kieran, how quickly had transfer fees been climbed? It, it 
basically took nearly a decade to get from £100 to £125,000. But in the 70s, how much was it climbing exponentially? I think we were starting to enter the era where transfer fees started to become a bit of a thing. And fans started to use transfer fees as a form of reflected glory. If my club can afford to pay X for a player, this shows that I'm backing the right club and so on. So this was, and now of course we've got the the likes of you know, Fabrizio Romano on on Twitter with his what 14.6 million followers. Yeah. And all he does is uh, he just he just has agents calling him saying, "My players fancy joining a new club. Why not put it out to cause a bit of mischief and mayhem?" And, and it works every time. Um, so th- there was that ongoing increase. Um, I, I remember Joe Jordan moving from Leeds United to Manchester United and then Gordon McQueen becoming the first half million pound player. So we were starting to see an increase, um, but not huge amounts necessarily. And part of the reason for that is that the clubs were run on, on a break-even basis. We didn't have financial fair play in those days, but equally, if you took a look at the culture of club ownership, Clubs tended to be owned by local businessmen who didn't want to lose money. They, they liked the trappings of ownership in the sense of they could smoke their cigars, they could host matches, they, they could have the opponent's directors into the boardroom, they could uh, entertain their guests, but they, they didn't particularly want to have to go and subsidise the clubs at the same time. So as a consequence of that, there, there were transfers taking place but they didn't tend to be, on a regular basis, huge sums. And you know, we have seen a, an amazing acceleration. If you go back as, as recently as 2011, when Andy Carroll moved from Newcastle to Liverpool, Andy Carroll, I think, was the, the highest transfer between two English clubs for an English player for something like five years. Mm. You know, so... so and now, you know, Brighton, I believe, uh, by the time this show goes out, will have broken their transfer record at thirty-five million, and fans are going, "Yeah, okay." And it's, I think, we've lost all touch with reality in terms of these numbers. Um, there has been an ac- a huge acceleration, but that has been driven by the money coming into the game, and I think that's reflected in that uh, that price I gave for Trevor Francis. It. The reason why there wasn't that acceleration in the 1970s necessarily was that clubs were not making more money. They they generated very little money from TV. Um, if we take a look at around about 1979, um, Nottingham Forest's total income for that year was less than £2 million. And wow. that was from getting to the European Cup final. That was from all of the... Uh, the, the first division, and remember there were 22 teams in it uh, in those days, um, progress in the Cups, uh, they, made, they made diddly squat from television in those days. Who are you signing for 35 million quid then? Um, well, I, I, by the time this goes out, I may be proved wrong, but uh, we've got, we're signing a Ghanaian striker called Kudos Ooh. from Ajax, Ooh. or not, as the case may be. Oh, good name. Uh, and, uh, of course, what we see these days, Kieran, is the, the, the signing on video 
cost yes. as much as players used to. God knows what we spent on the the one we announced our young Brazilian wonder kid with, but it went it's full South American samba cliche would have cost a lot of money. In the old days, they did it properly, Kieran. You knew you'd sign somebody when they bought a chair and table out on the pitch at half time. Yes. And they signed the pitch. In, they signed the new contract in front of him. People still think I made this up. Ray Bloy, who owned Palace in the in the late sixties, early seventies, um, was an accountant for a massive meat company, and we we signed one player. And I can't remember who it was, but he was he signed in the middle of the pitch, and he had half a cow carcass hanging next to him because because <laughs> Ray Bloy didn't want to miss an opportunity. So obviously, I I, I imagine that half a cow carcass was tax deductible. But it, it, those, you, you didn't turn a hair care. That's how football was in those days, basically. If you didn't already know, our partner Manscaped now sells beard products. You heard that correctly. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming changed the game with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit. And now they're going a step further with their brand new Handyman, an electric face shaver for a quick and convenient way to achieve a clean-shaven look. Whether you're looking to sharpen up your neckline or give your face that smooth finish, the Handyman has you covered. It's time to go from five o'clock shady to yeah, baby. That's right. If you're looking for something, dare I say, smoother, look no further than Manscaped's new Handyman face shaver. If you're like me, you know clean shaving's a bit of a hassle. The Handyman is the perfect compact tool I can take with me on the go to achieve that clean shaven look without all of the effort. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Hit the refresh button with Manscaped. But I, I recall, uh, I went to Manchester University in 1980. And in those days, ticket prices were dead cheap, Yeah, um, as, we'll, as we'll come to on in a minute. Uh, and I remember seeing uh, Brian Robson, Gary Bertels, Remy Moses, again, all signing. Uh, you know, on, I used to always go to the Stratford end. Uh, to, I'd watch United one week and City the following. It, uh, it, was, it was so great to be a student because the prices were so cheap. Um and as you rightly said, that's the way that it was done. Um, and yeah, it, it was a, it was a sign that the player uh, had reached a success was when he got a perm. <laughs> yeah, we'd seen Kieran um, Jimmy Greaves, uh, Dennis Law had gone to Italy in the in the sixties, and it seemed at that time that most other countries had more money to spend on transfers than, than English clubs do. Would that be a fair comparison? Even in 1979, how would how would transfer fees in England comparing to other countries? Yes, England certainly wasn't preeminent at that time. Uh, Italian football had a bit of glitz and glamour, and uh, you and I both remember the the attention that, that we had in in terms of um, overseas football. It was seen as as being exotic and expensive mm. and, and alluring um and therefore the, the clubs there certainly when when dennis law went to torino wasn't it that was for yeah. 115,000 yeah. pounds in the mid 60s and that was that was golly gosh um at the time but that's because 
they tended to get more money um, from sponsors and some of the some of the people attached to the clubs. And I'm not saying that people attached to it, to uh, English clubs were necessarily um, what you might call uh, 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 virginal, uh, a bit like, or like Caesar's wife. Uh, but yes, some of the overseas clubs had connections, um, and that allowed them. Uh, but if, if you take a look at how much it, it did cost to get in. Um, I, I remember when my first year at university, I was paying one pound twenty to to get a ticket in the Stratford End uh, at, at Manchester University. And if I wanted to sit, and I never did because you know you were at the age of eighteen, the, the thought of sitting at a football match was com- completely antithesis. That that was an extra forty pence, um, and that was that was just a, a, a non-starter. Uh, and I think that again is indicative of not only is the money going out in terms of both wages and transfer fees shooting up uh, what we're expected to produce as far as fans is concerned? Because that that £1.60 to sit in the Stratford End in, in 1979 when Trevor Francis signed, uh, if, if you put that into your retail price index, that would be £10.36 today. And we think we're doing quite well with £30 for away tickets. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, again... Uh, football has has been part of the leisure industry, which has managed to outstrip general inflation more than anything else, and that's the nature of of sort of high quality elite entertainment. Um, you know, as again, my my life at the time revolved around football and music, and I go and see gigs for next to nothing. But it, it's quite common these days to pay eighty, a hundred pounds or more for a a, a ticket uh, to go and see a band at Wembley. I, I simply couldn't imagine, like you, Kieran, the idea of sitting at a football game, and that was for basically that was for posh people and old people. Mm. In the same way that I would never ever go on a coach to an away game, that was for middle class people. Got a coach to an away game, they were for people who wanted to get there safely. They didn't want any of that nonsense. Um, at nineteen seventy nine, Kieran, it, it wasn't that long since the old retain and transfer system had, had broken, has it? Really, so footballers hadn't really been in charge of their own. Careers for probably more than a few a decade, a decade or so, had they? Yes, and they were very much on a chain and ball as far as the clubs were concerned. Um, and we have made an awful lot of progress um, since then, uh, and and that is good good for the players um, because if you're not happy at work, you should be allowed to move on. Mm. Uh, and the old system uh, was was geared towards the employer. Um, We have seen since Bosman a a significant change. The clubs will claim perhaps, and I'm not sure this is warranted, that it's shifted too far in the form of players, but you see chief executives move from company to company. uh, uh, So therefore, why can't you do the same with footballers? Yeah, because, I mean, essentially, again, for younger listeners, if if a a club retained your registration, uh, if if you wanted to go and they didn't want you to go, you didn't go. It's as simple yep. as that. And you didn't get paid full wages either. So it it was essentially a, a kind of servitude in a way. I don't know if it's possible to quantify this, Kieran, but it wasn't long after Trevor Francis signed for Forrest for that record fee of a million pound or £975,000 plus VAT, whichever you wish to believe, that he scored the winning goal in the European Cup final. Is it possible to quantify whether that goal would have financially repaid that million pound? Um, no, it certainly didn't. Uh, 
because the amount of money that Forrest made is say that they they made in total um, less than two million pounds in, in revenue that season, and certainly half of it didn't come from the uh, participation in the European Cup. It, it did, of course, allow uh, Nottingham Forest as holders to qualify for the following season's European Cup, where John Robertson scored the winner. Yeah, so so that did contribute a little um but they they didn't get their money back in terms of of revenue uh the, the bonuses there was there was next to no prize money because you were holding the trophy you you made your money in those days not from uefa uh handing out money and and in, to put that into context when real madrid won the uh, Champions League in 2022, and that's the last season that we've actually got figures for. They made 119 million from prize money alone uh, from UEFA because the tournament is now televised and there's so much competition from broadcasters. In those days, you you, you got the cup; that was your prize. And yes, you had home matches where uh, fans would turn up and you'd make some money from that. And yes, you'd sell some shirts and, and uh, bits of merchandise, but it wasn't it wasn't very lucrative. And remember, in those days, it was also, it was a knockout competition. Mm. So therefore, you didn't even have the benefit of three guaranteed group games or four guaranteed group games, as will be the case from 2024-25. So uh, the money made from uh, winning the European Cup was, was fame, not fortune. What a player John Robertson was. What a player. Mm. And yet, if you were playing Sunday football and John Robertson turned up for the other team, you wouldn't worry at all. He just, I mean, he had a little bit of a beer gut. He was always unshaven. You'd think this bloke can't play football, but my God, he was good, wasn't he? Mm. Um, what effect, Kieran, after the, the £1 million transfer, was it was it that particular transfer that opened the floodgates? Um, did it have a significant effect on transfer fees going into the, the 80s? Um, what it did is was it normalised the £1 million fee. And you know, we saw a series of players using that as a benchmark. And we, we and we saw clubs using that as a benchmark. I mean, Trevor Francis himself moved on for um, just more than a million to Manchester City. Um, Nottingham Forest bought Justin Fashionu for a million pounds yeah. from Norwich City. So it, it, it became a benchmark. In terms of if you have a good player, then that was used as a start. But we didn't see a lot of acceleration during the 80s. And and part of the reason for that was if you take a look at attendances of clubs in the 80s, Manchester United, I think one season, they had the the highest attendances in English football and they were getting 38,000. And I, I can remember... Brighton in ninety no, in eighty two eighty three. So we were still in the top flight. Um, we were having home attendances of less than ten thousand, and that was quite common. Yeah, clubs like Notts County and others yeah. would regularly be having uh, relatively low attendances, which of course restricted the ability of clubs to to pay significant transfer fees. It was only the arrival of the Premier League and satellite television and that new income stream for clubs, which allowed them to have the increase in revenues, which ultimately transfer fees are driven by the ability of clubs to pay and the ability of clubs to pay is is driven by their revenue sources. Oh, that's interesting. So you would, final question, and you would disagree with those people who say that Trevor Francis in the first million pound transfer, that was the games gone moment. 
So you you don't think that was the significant shift in changing the financial implications of football? No, no, because football as an industry was a pariah. Um, remember what happened following uh, Heysel. English clubs were banned from Europe. The government at one point in time was talking about having cages for football, having a, bringing in a national identity okay, scheme, yeah. you know, major, major issues in terms of civil liberties. Um, football was not the game that we identify today. And, and I'm not going to say that it was all hooliganism. You know, I, I probably was exactly the same as you. I, I went to loads and loads of away matches. At times, you, you had to be on your toes. But that was part of society in the 80s. It was exactly the same going to gigs. I remember going yeah. to see Bad Manners play at Gosh. the top rank yeah. in uh, in Brighton. And uh, I... I music was quite malevolent. You, know, you, you want yeah. to go and see the band because you like the music and the far right had adopted Tribal, the Scar yeah. movement and places like that. Yeah. And I just remember these probably about seven or eight skinheads turned up and I, I, I made my exit sharpish. Uh, the top rank in Brighton, there was, a, there was a top floor which you could escape to. So I went up there um, and all of a sudden these half a dozen baseball bats appeared and it was utter carnage yeah. taking place. So... It was quite a, an, it was a, it was a tough time, um, and and that was reflected on the terraces. And football was still a working class game. It was the Premier League. It was Euro '96. It, it was Gaza's tears, which I think were the changing points for football in terms of a broader fan base, uh, a more diverse fan base, uh, and probably a fan base which is. A lot more family friendly now. I'm talking about someone that's looking forward to taking my granddaughter to her first match in a year or two, and I would not have, you know, as, as a grandparent, I would not have ever countenanced that um, in in the in the late seventies, early eighties. You taking her to Brighton? Of course, she, she <laughs> likes raw fish. <laughs> <coughs> of course, she does. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, this special Nostalgia Pod today. Normal service will be resumed with our questions pod on Monday and our news pod will be back again next Thursday. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks as always, folks. Um, I appreciate this show. It's slightly different, but... Uh, it was such a great player. We felt that he deserved a, uh, a special podcast in his own right, uh, did, uh, did Trevor Francis. Um, there's various ways you can support the show. And one of those ways is to go on to your podcast app and give us a review. Uh, apparently, it's the number of reviews that counts. It's not the comments. So given that we're in the late 70s, early 80s, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Kenny Burns and Tommy Cooper. And that would be great. <laughs> Kenny, oh yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Kenny Burns is apparently uh, a very good singer. All right. um, Tom, oh, really? Yeah, Tommy Cooper, not a very nice man. Oh. Uh, no, not a very nice man, by all accounts, according to late dear departed Barry Cryer. Um, let's not leave it on that note, Kieran. Let's discuss your granddaughter's love of raw fish. 
How many, <laughs> uh, and how many podcasts have ended with those words this week? Yes. Take that, Radio Times. Bye, everybody. Well, my oh, my well, granddaughter, just just a quick granddaughter anecdote um, is that uh, when when they are in the car and uh, the mum sometimes mum sometimes puts the the uh, the podcast on um the the first reaction is uh it's it's grandpa football finance blah 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 <laughs> that, 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 that should go that, that should go on our tour poster i think that's that's from my that's from my eldest granddaughter so the fame at last that's hilarious that, that, how, how old is she She's four. Oh, She's that's, turned four. That's hilarious. That, we should definitely call that this pod football football finance, blah, 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 from now on. Uh, does, yeah, does the podcast go on when she wants them to go to sleep in the back? Is that what it is? <laughs> yes, it works a treat. <laughs> yeah. Works a treat every time. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the fall.